Welcome to Firearms Trainers Podcast, Season 3, Episode 18, published on July 5th, 2022. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Our guest today is Steve Moses from Palisades Training Group to talk about why do force-on-force training and how to properly set it up. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and their competitive pricing. If you're a certified instructor, then you can apply for FTA coverage. Receive a special 10% off for listening to this podcast by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by NA Tactical. As instructors, our students are always asking us what gear we use. I always tell them I use NA Tactical. Do you know that NA Tactical offers several designs, each with extreme comfort for all-day carry? The Revenant and Professional Holsters have a patented tuckable design, adjustable cant, and secure twist release. My personal favorite is the KO-1. It is an all-kydex appendix holster that I can carry all day in comfort. All of NA's holsters come with a two-week try guarantee and a lifetime warranty even on the clip. Remember to check out their Flex Mag Carrier also. It has a three-layer comfort backer and will accommodate several sizes of the magazines. Shop at natactical.com to find your next holster. That's the letter N, the number eight, tactical.com. We bring this podcast support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Steve Moses from Palisade Training Group. Welcome, Steve, and thanks for taking the time to share your knowledge with our audience. Good evening, Rob. I'm very glad to be here. Great. Well, for those that may not have listened to uh, season three and episode 10, uh, where we talk about social skills, can you give us a little bit of your background and uh, what brings you here today? Well, I am a longtime uh, defensive firearms trainer. I uh, started in 1994. Uh, since then, I've obtained uh, multiple instructor certifications, including range master, master firearms instructor. Uh, defensive shotgun instructor. Uh, I've got force on force, uh, uh, force on force instructor certifications and uh, uh, OC instructor certifications. I basically, I've just kind of made it uh, my mission to expose myself to as much quality content when it comes to teaching as I possibly can. Certainly not an expert in any one of those fields, but I do know enough that I think I can help point people in the right direction. Uh, I'm a licensed level four personal protection officer instructor, which means I'm licensed in the state of Texas to teach people basically uh, how to become a, 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 a what you would call an executive protection specialist. Uh, I've done that. I was a former law enforcement. I'm a um, one of my proudest achievements, uh, and this is probably about as far as it's going to go, is I'm a brown belt in the Helsinki Gracie Jiu-Jitsu system. I am um, a content contributor for CCW Safe. I'm also a content contributor for the Firearm Trainers Association, as well as uh, one of their customer support specialists. Great. Really appreciate you uh, coming on today because... Uh, Understand you've recently taken some force-on-force training from Carl Wren, who's actually been a guest on our podcast also, and wanted to talk about um, force-on-force training. Well, I'm I'm, I'm glad to uh, talk about it because I am a huge advocate of uh, force-on-force training. Uh, One of the uh, specialized classes that 
uh, Palisade Training Group, uh, and that's I'm a, I'm a partner in Palisade Training Group, along with Gosh Nistler and Ellen McBee, is we teach a, a church security team instructor and leader development course. And basically, it is a course that uh, is designed to help people uh, develop a church security team, or if they are not an existing church security team, uh, perhaps some ways that think actions they can take that maybe may be able to, you know, help them out in the future. Uh, I spent eight years on a church security team myself. Uh, it was on a mega church uh, that had four satellite uh, churches. So I've been on both a big team uh, where I was the shift lead, which meant whenever the uh, the agent in charge was not present, I was in charge of the team, as well as I've been a, uh, you know, a, a officer, if you will, that was, uh, you know, protecting a single satellite, small satellite church. And uh, we believed that force on force training is really important when it comes to teaching uh, members on church security teams uh, how to deal with either uh, suspicious contacts or in the event of an active shooter. And uh, the reason I say that is when you are doing church security, well, by very definition, you're on church grounds in some way, whether it's in the parking lot, uh, it's in the hallway, or it's in the sanctuary itself. And churches typically are, uh, you know, they're comprised of, of, of many people. In some instances, the uh, mega church where we worked, it was not, we could have 4,500 people in the sanctuary alone. And over a weekend, it was not unheard of for 20,000 people to go through that particular campus. Wow. So one of the things that force on force training does is it allows you to actually practice some of your skills. I refer to it as visualization in its finest form in an environment where you're actually problem solving, but at the same time, there are other people around that are basically, uh, you do not want to endanger in any way. And so we felt like that we needed to add a, an active shooter uh, block of instruction. Uh, so to that end, I went and took Ed Monk's uh, active shooter instructor course as well as force on force. And we felt like the best way to do that was to go to, I think one of the persons is probably the leading authority when it comes to civil sector force on force training, and that's Carl Wren. So uh, my partners and I, we went down there. Uh, we completed that force on force training. I had studied force on force under Carl at, uh, you know, at TACCON and other, uh, you know, venues in the past, uh, simply because there is a right way and a wrong way to do that. We definitely wanted to get the most out of it. And as much as anything, and I think this is something that will probably uh, all farm trainers uh, would agree, is we wanted to do that in such a manner that uh, the chances that a student might be injured uh, during a training block in which a, uh, you know, a gun uh, got somehow mixed into the training. Uh, we wanted to avoid that. And we felt like the best way to do that was to just go to someone that was really skilled in it and take some instructor training. And it was, it was really a fun class. Uh, I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. Um, I've done some force on force. And one of the definite things that you 
as an instructor, really have got to understand is, you know, force on force in order for it to be worthwhile, you have to reduce any chance of injury by any means as low as you can. That means going along and making sure the environment's sterile, you know, no knives, keys, live ammunition, uh, you know, normal firearms, uh, those types of things. And that somebody checks to make sure that the, uh, the, the, Simunitions, the airsoft, whatever you're using, are you know are truly what you actually are using. Um, you know, we saw you know um, Alec Baldwin, you know, on the t- on the movie set Obviously. to where you can have a very bad accident. Well, that's the same type of thing when you're doing force on force. You're doing it because it helps in processing and understand how to use your skills. But at the same time, we've got to make it that you know we don't end up injuring people that we're trying to train and uh, you know work against what the goals of uh, the training to begin with. Well, and one of the interesting things is when we kind of think back to our training past, uh, when a lot of force in our force was actually done in the uh, civil sector, it was actually done with uh, Code Eagle uh, plastic uh, marking cartridges shot out of real revolvers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talk about that today and just kind of shudder. And uh, we were kind of like, going, oh, man, isn't this dangerous? Well, it's all dangerous and everything. But, you know, we were really lucky to move past that era relatively quickly. And uh, what I've found is that uh, for civil sector, I've, I, I think Airsoft works just as well. Uh, one of the things I kind of like about Airsoft is it's pretty hard to mix up an Airsoft pistol uh, with a live pistol where there's a Glock 17 trainer in many ways other than color, uh, looks very much like a real firearm. And so the thing is that we can do is that, you know, you can buy uh, a decent airsoft pistol that will probably work okay for under $40. And with the airsoft pellets, you know, uh, they have enough velocity that when you get hit by one, uh, you know, you've definitely been scored on. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in, you know, just using Airsoft. And that's what Carl uses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even with uh, Airsoft, um, you need to make sure you got, you know, face protection, eye, you know, eye and eye face uh, uh, protection, as well as uh, Airsoft can hurt a little bit if you get uh, hit, hit on a bare skin and you don't have long sleeve and long pants on type of things. Well, absolutely that. And what a lot of people do, and I've seen people do this before in training classes, is just wear eye protection. And uh, an airsoft pellet is very capable of chipping a tooth. And so... Or leaving a pretty good weld on a cheek, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've, I've actually been kind of fortunate. I participated in Craig Douglas's uh, Arm Movement Instructor class, which is just an awesome class. If you ever get a chance, Rob really need to consider taking that. Uh, that's a 20-hour class and a good portion of it is force on force. Um, and so I participated in it three times. And on the second and the third course, I got to be one of the bad guys, which meant I basically at some point over and above all of the training exercises in a final training exercise, got in a shootout with every single person in the class. So probably... <laughs> That was probably 40 guys, and it was really telling kind of what uh, force-on-force training tells you. And one of the things that 
I thought was actually kind of enlightening was how many hits that people take in the hands and the arms. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's because they're aiming at the pistol. And I'm kind of like going, I really don't think it's that they're aiming at the pistol. It's just that they're, if they're shooting at you, you know, the pistol is basically superimposed over their very own uh, center mass. And it kind of drove home to me the fact that if we get into a gunfight, it's it's very possible that, you know what, we may be injured in the hands and the arms and, you know, a shot to the hands. Uh, not only can that disable a hand, but it can also disable a handgun. And so these are just kind of some little interesting things, uh, whether or not that really kind of factors in anything that we're training. It really doesn't. When you're doing force on force, you basically only have control over you. You don't have control over what that other person does. But the excellent thing about force on force, it puts you in circumstances where, yeah, you do have a gun, but your focus now is on problem solving and doing the correct thing which is just something that's not going to happen on a square range when, you know, you're shooting live ammunition, you know, you can kind of tell them, think of this, think of that, you know, it's all very abstract to a student force on force. Uh, this is about as close as you're going to get to a real gunfight. And it reinforces the skills that we're trying to teach too, you know, about getting off the X about going along and, you know, having a quick draw, accurate shots, uh, those types of things, which, uh, you know, if you don't, if you don't get off the X, you're going to be a, you're going to be a magnet for all those uh, airsoft or rounds that are going to be coming toward you. And the same thing, if you're not putting accurate shots on the other target, you're going to be probably taking more shots than you really want, want to, um, because whether it's airsoft UTM or simulations, none of them feel good to be hit with. They all have a little sting to them. No, and I've still got a, a few bruises on my legs from an airsoft, maybe not from an airsoft, from a uh, church security instructor class that we just taught. Uh, the other thing I really like about airsoft is that you can put the person into a situation in which they have to, like I said, problem solving. Uh, I've got a gun. Do I need to pro- solve the problem with a gun? Uh in most instances, students are real anxious to use that airsoft pistol at some point. And if you put them continuously in a position where there is a chance that the situation can be handled without gunplay at all, you know, it's, it's, it's I think that's a very important lesson that's been driven home. But the other thing is you can take the other students and scatter them around. Again, these are, you know, they're wearing full face protection ideally, you know, protection on their hands and uh, on their throat, moving around and then seeing in those gunfights, how many of those people actually get shot? And the question becomes, Mm -hmm. oh, do some of those people get shot by you? And so what we can do then is we can make our students become a little bit more aware of not only the person that they're dealing with, that what's around and behind and even in front of the, uh, the suspicious contact, if you will. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What do you suggest when it comes to scenario uh, drills? Um, how do you suggest scenarios be, uh, be built? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm probably not the, 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 the best person to ask about that. 
because the majority of the force on force instructors uh, are teaching classes that revolve around uh, managing unknown contacts, uh, managing uh, encroaching contacts, uh, being in perhaps a convenience store when a robbery takes place, uh, perhaps you're being the students being robbed, perhaps a third party's being robbed, perhaps they're at an ATM, perhaps they're at a gas station, you know, something that replicates a real life encounter that probably would take place in a transitional area. And transitional area, I think we've talked about before, is that's just any area between say your home base and maybe a business or a fixed place where you're gonna be for a while and then back. So that might be, you know, sidewalks, streets, parking lots, you know, uh, uh, parking garages, ATMs, gas stations, banks, uh, et cetera. And so if your class is focused on working, preparing students for dealing with altercations in that area, then you need to come up with scenarios that replicate that. If it's about home security, okay, then it's gonna have to be, you know, okay, uh, somebody just came in the door and or they're yelling, uh, police, hands up. Or perhaps you're in an area where you hear a bump. Do you go and you investigate it? Or do you stay in your room and do you challenge them and say, hey, I have a gun, you need to leave now? Or are you in your room and you have someone that you're responsible for, say a, a, a child or an elderly adult in another room, and you have to leave your room in order to you know, get safely to that room so you can secure that. Uh, most of the stuff that we have done has been uh, church security based. So a small portion of it would be active shooter, where perhaps you've got a, uh, a person that encounters someone that's coming up to the church from the parking lot, or perhaps you've got an active shooter in an area and the uh, the, the students have to go to that uh, that shooter, or perhaps they're in an area and then the active shooter comes into that area. And so those are the kind of situations that I try to script. Uh, and I always do that, like I said, where there's always at least one or two scenarios where absolutely no shots need to be fired, no guns need to come out, and it turns out that the suspicious person was actually benign. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I would go along and also caution, uh, when you do force on force, not to make them impossible scenarios, you know, you're not having people pop out of the ceiling and then, you know, basically kind yes. of ninja situations because you want yes. the, you want them to have a, you want the people going through to be able to apply the skills that they have currently and be able to see how they will work properly and throwing a situation in there where they lose every time, just because they haven't learned up to that point is uh is a it, you get them into a defeatist attitude and that's uh not not a good thing from a training perspective at all well uh one of the things that can happen is it can just devolve into just nothing more than a gunfight where everybody wants to win and that's mm -hmm. just kind of a part of understanding uh you know student psychology carl goes into uh, very good depth on that and uh a big part of that is actually scripting the scenarios so that all of the role players uh, know exactly what they're supposed to do, uh, including perhaps 
the uh, the person that is the student being tested. You know, so you can tell the student being tested. Okay, uh, the person that's behind the counter is a relative, or you can tell the student that uh, being tested that the person behind the counter during the robbery you've never seen them before, and you're standing right next to a door. But the important thing is is when you have the role player that's being the bad guy, so-called bad guy, or potentially the so-called bad guy, that person needs to stick with the script. So if it's a student, uh, it's very good to say, hey, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. And you're going to do this. If this student does this, then you can do this. But don't do anything more than that and don't become creative. And then uh, in our instance, since we have uh, a couple of, you know, there's three of us instructors. In many instances, we will have the other two instructors actually play the role of the uh, unknown contact simply because we know, A, they're going to stick to the scripts, and two, they don't have anything to prove to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so all of that is very important. And then, you know, just kind of understand that egos get tied into this and, uh, you know, people become frightened. I mean, to many people, this becomes almost like a real life uh, situation and be, you know, prepared for that. And, um, you know, and then the other thing that let me just kind of go through, uh, I, I grabbed this because I thought this might be handy. Uh, Carl actually has an instructor book and it's broken into various topics. And these topics are, I'm just going to read these if you don't mind. Force, right force concepts, student psychology, equipment and safety, skill building, force on force drills, scenario-based training, and designing and running scenarios. And so Carl's put a lot of thought into that. And that's why I would just kind of caution, you know, persons that in, are, that are trainers themselves, rather than just you know kind of willy nilly say, okay, I'm going to start doing force on force training, and I'm going to uh, just come up with some stuff. Man, doing this with some background behind you, where someone has already broken up a lot of this ground, you know, if you will, and has this information available to you, it's so much better to learn from what he's developed over the years. And then, you know, kind of add whatever little individual tweaks that you do. And for us, you know, uh, since our situation is mostly church security, uh, most of the scenarios we have developed are based around, uh, you know, incidents that could happen in a church security uh, situation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, you know, the one thing, you know, when you're whenever you're designing a training curriculum, make sure that whatever you do, um, you know, makes it informative to the students, but also that it achieves the goal that you want it to. And that's where, yeah, it's fun. Sometimes it's, you know, shooting, you know, having, having a big shootout, but other times, if you're trying to, if you're trying to get reinforce those skills that you're trying to teach and how to, how to go along and escalate things appropriately or when to use and how to, how to shoot. Um, those are all things that want to be reinforced and just having everybody shoot, you know, have a wild shootout. Um, the only thing that's going to reinforce is that there's going to be a lot of uh, innocent bystanders that, that are going to end up getting shot. Uh, that's that's actually very good advice. Uh, one of the things that we do try to do is we try to start out with very simple uh, 
easily solvable scenarios. And then the scenarios themselves become more and more complex as time goes on. And uh, the other thing that we do in our classes is we make sure that if you're not a participant in the scenario, you are in a position where you can witness what's going on because you don't actually have to be involved in something hands-on to, uh, you know, learn that, okay, hey, that was good. I want to do that. Or that was bad. I don't want to do that. And just being able to just simply, you know, see those scenarios and be in a position where, okay, you can ask questions and the instructors can address them, uh, I think is, is, you know, it's very important. And the other thing is, you know, kind of realize that sometimes what the students do in these force on force scenarios is it's kind of like, where did you get that information? I mean, I've literally seen them run down and murder people that, you mm-hmm. know, where they thought was going to be the suspect or get the suspect in a person where basically he's on the floor, he's been shot, he's not doing anything, and they continue just to pump rounds into him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like going, you know, uh, that was a legitimate uh, defensive shooting until that fourth round that you fired. At that yep. point, you know, that probably just changed to potentially second degree murder. And it's like, well, I never thought of it this way. Or, you know, they would come up with a rationale that basically, you know, seemed to make sense to them. And then when you explain to them what a third party would see and what a district attorney might say and what a jury of your peers might do, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe you can get away from that. Well, why would you want to do that in the first place? Yeah. And I think one thing to realize, you know, depending upon the level of students that you're putting through a force on force, um, realize there could be a, a lot of emotion that comes out. You know, you were talking about somebody who's continues to pump rounds into a, into a target, probably because they're so pumped up that that's, you know, kind of what they thought, you know, was the right thing to do. I had a situation of force on force to where a, a person was going through a house and there was a clear target that jumped out and they started screaming. They had a gun in their hand. Um, the, the person did, and they did not connect the uh, neurons in their brain to say, when I see a target, I have to raise the gun, put it on target yell at them, do whatever, you know, and pull the trigger. They just sat there and and kept yelling and screaming. Just another one of those things where it, it really does help and connects those, um, training experiences that we have on a normal 2d range into more of a, um, you know, uh, experiential learning, which will, which definitely will help out, but, you know, keep in mind, it's going to be extremely stressful for the students doing it, especially, uh, early on because they just, they want to make sure they're doing it right. Make sure they're doing it. Um, and they're thinking, thinking things through, and that's where the training's got to help them make the decisions faster and know that they're making good sound decisions. Well, and in effect too, they're performing in front of peers. They may mm-hmm. not know anybody else in that class, but they're all there for the same purpose and they don't want to be, you know, perceived as being that guy. And so that puts a lot of stress under them in many instances. And, you know, my response to that is, oh, that's awesome. You know, that's stress inoculation 
That's why competitive shooting is such a good thing because yeah, everybody wants to perform well. And if you can continue to, you know, practice these things and do these things under stress after a while, um, you know, the same factors don't have the same effect on you that they would have, you know, earlier in during your journey. Yeah. Stress is stress. You know, there's not good stress, um, you know, different kinds of good, good stress and everything. And that's where if you can do stress, you know, competition, force on force, it will, uh, it will definitely help you when you're in that stressful situation, uh, fighting for your life. Yes, sir. And one of the things that we do in uh, our class, of course, you know, the topic tonight was uh, force on force is we do an active shooter block of instruction also with uh, live ammunition. And the reason we do that is to drive home the fact that those airsoft pellets that maybe, you know, didn't hit the person you were shooting at, or maybe they hit something else or hit somebody else, you know, in a force on force class, you know, people go, did anybody get hit? And they go, yeah, yeah. And everybody goes, uh, ha, ha, ha. See, you did, you killed that guy. If you do a uh, active shooter block of instruction, either in the same class or in a different class, where basically you create scenarios that if they just see the bad guy who, you know, we give them, you know, like the bad guy has a gun. So, yeah, it's a definite threat. If they just stand there and they shoot and there's a high probability that at some point they're going to shoot through that. And then we'll go down to other 3D targets, could be paper targets even, and look to see if any of the others have been struck. In many instances, that's the case. Mm -hmm. And then you can just kind of see everything really registers with them as to, wow, uh, not only is a force on force situation dynamic and I have to make these decisions and I'm moving a little bit. I'm not in the best shooting uh, platform. He or she, they're moving. Other people are moving around. Okay, I've got all that stuff going. And by the way, these are real bullets and they go through things. And when they hit somebody else, you could definitely say that that is a uh, that is a negative, negative outcome. And I don't think it was that long ago when some police officers engaged someone, I believe it was in a department store and uh, one of the bullets uh, missed the, uh, the, the, the suspect. And I believe it went into a dressing room and killed a, uh, he killed a young girl. Mm -hmm. As they say, every bullet has a lawyer's name on it. And you've got to be very cognizant of that because even if you are the good guy trying to, you know, stop, uh, you know, something from happening, if one of yours ends up hitting another innocent person, um, you know, you could be at minimal, you know, have to pay out civilly for, for that, those injuries and on the worst end could end up getting charged criminally for it. Yeah. Especially if it was a bad shoot, if it was a mm -hmm. bad shoot, you could. And the other thing too is realize that, you know, in a force on force scenario where those pellets that don't hit the bad guy and they don't hit uh, basically a bystander, uh, they wouldn't hit a wall. Well, in most uh, structures, uh, all of your walls, 
they're not they're not what we would call cover they're concealment they're easily penetrated by a bullet and uh, inside churches you know the majority and this is true for businesses and homes uh, the majority of the walls are basically they're just they're, they're sheetrock you know you've got two pieces of sheetrock with maybe two by fours or two by sixes between them maybe some insulation maybe not boy a nine millimeter bullet it hardly slows down when it goes through that mm-hmm definitely those are all things that you have to be taken into consideration as the good guy you know bad guys aren't going to consider it but we're we're forced as uh, as the law-abiding citizens to take that into consideration and for me i i tell you what uh the the best way to prepare people for a a real world situation is going to involve it's going to involve force on force and uh in terms of active shooter training, I know that I kind of changed the topic there. Uh, I don't mean that because I think that private citizens need to necessarily have those skills, although they certainly don't hurt. But if you're going to do church security and you're basically saying, I'm willing to put myself between that person and these innocent third parties, you are. And, you know, you've, you need to understand, you know, all of the, the, the nuances of that and how dangerous and risky that can be. Definitely. Well, Steve, really appreciate you sharing your experiences uh, with Force on Force and church security with uh, everybody, because I think in summary, it's it's something good that uh, for firearm instructors to think about bringing to their students, but it's also something that instructors should get instructed on first before they do something and make sure they do it safe and make sure that um, the students are learning the proper skills and, and not just uh, making it into a shooting gallery where everybody's just, you know, joking, and having fun, there's time for fun, but when it comes to force on force, we want to make sure that we're reinforcing those skills that will uh, save our lives and other people's lives. Well, and, and also Rob, it's really important to you know, point out that basically we are giving people suggestions and uh, teaching them tactics and promoting things that uh, you know could they're going to be responsible. They're the ones that ultimately are going to be responsible for what they do. Uh, it doesn't mean that we may not be called, you know. Uh, into court later because of our instruction, but these people, what we're teaching them to do these things. And if they take our advice and it's no good, if it's not solid or if they follow us and we haven't considered all the things that, uh, that they followed our advice and never considered all the things that might happen, uh, they could really do something that absolutely not only ruins their lives, but it could cause an injury or the death of an innocent third party. And so that's a huge responsibility. And so where I'm kind of going with that is I would be very hesitant about teaching force on force classes had I not received uh, instruction from a good force on force instructor myself. Very much agree with that. Well, Steve, um, We've been asking all our guests this year about naming an influential mentor who's helped them get to where they are today. Do you have uh, one you'd like to suggest to our audience? Uh, I'm going to have to say Tom Givens. Uh, He is the person, the instructor that I've trained the most under. And uh, one of the things I really like about Tom is that Tom's methodology 
uh, it continues to change as uh, he becomes more experienced and he sees more. And he's not somebody you would call an old dinosaur. Everything that he is teaching is pretty much, uh, you know, up to date today. And so uh, my hat's going to my hat's off to Tom Gibbons. I would ditto that. He's uh, definitely made a very big impact on the training community um, and armed citizens as a whole because of all the instructors that he's turned out through the Range Master program himself. And then those instructors uh, turn out through their classes that they're teaching. Uh, where can people find more information about Steve Moses and the classes you're teaching? Well, you can friend me on Facebook. Uh, if you do that, you will see uh, articles that I uh, post basically that have been posted by the Farm Trainers Association and CCW Safe that I have written. I try to write articles uh, for the Farm Trainers Association that are they're directed at farm trainers. Uh, CCW Safe articles uh, are kind of you know basically uh, directed at concealed carriers, but there's a thin line of course between being a firearms trainer and a concealed carrier, and I think there's a lot of spillover. Uh, between the two. And then my uh, website is uh, Palisade Training Group, LLC, and it's uh, www.ptgtrainingllc.com. Okay. And I will have the link to your website as well as to your article on force on force training uh, from the Farm Trainers Association in the show notes for everybody. So, Steve, thanks again for your time. And have a good day. Uh, once again, thanks for having me on. It was great talking to you, Rob. That's a wrap for this episode. Hope you found it interesting and hope that you'll share it with your friends and other instructors. Do you have a suggestion for an episode or someone you'd like us to have on interview on the podcast? Feel free to email me at FTP at concealedcarry.com. You can also leave us feedback on your Facebook page, on our Facebook page, or better yet, leave it on our website at firemantrainerpodcast.com. Our website also allows you to search previous episodes on all kinds of topics like marketing, additional training, and dealing with challenges in your classroom. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a certified instructor and establishing a business were your first steps. Now your next step should be getting FTA coverage. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Sign up for the Guardian Conference coming up on September 16th to the 18th. Receive world-class training from nationally recognized trainers like Todd Fossey, Andrew Branca, and Matthew Marister. Topics will include unarmed self-defense, self-defense law, trauma care, and advanced pistol craft. All the information and more can be found at guardianconference.com. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.